Well, once a month, we take time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And at this time, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. And the Lord's Supper is that time that once a month, we reflect on what Christ has done for us. And so, as we enter into that time, we ask that you would begin to reflect in your heart, um, really the past month, of how you've lived in terms of living a godly life or not. And... God is, as we sang today, drawn near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. And our goal, of course, is to be as close to the Lord as we can. I think of Colossians 3.12 that says, God says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Listen to these five things. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. That's the earmark of a Christian, an ambassador who wants to please the Lord. Is that you? Is that what people think of when they think of you? So just talk to the Lord in the quietness of your heart. Thank you, Lord, that when we fall short, you're there to pick us up. You say, come to me, all of you who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, fix yourself up and come to me. He says, just come to me and let him fix you up. So, Lord, I pray for our church is that this month we will look more like you. Forgive us, Lord, in the ways that we have abandoned you, rejected you, not witnessed about you, and most of all, didn't look like you. Forgive us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we pass out the elements, we're going to ask that you wait until all have received.
We ask that you partake with us if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, said, take this and eat, all of you. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, Welcome to the service today. Um, Dan asked me to share the word of God. And it's so powerful. Give me a second here and let me go back to, there we go. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and it's uh, Psalm 46. Um, I'm going to read the whole psalm, it's 12 verses. So if you'd like, you can join along with whatever verse you have. Father, we thank you that your word is power, Father, and that you are a God who is perfect and stunning in perfection, flawless, Lord. You are a God who is a consuming fire, a God who is love, a God who is light in whom there is no darkness, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your word is alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to discern the heart and tent of man and cut through bone and marrow, Lord. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. Amen. Look inside the mystery.
look beyond the tombstone See the living God See the resurrected Ruler of my heart No one else above Him You're in for a treat this evening as all the way from the Middle East, we have a wonderful speaker and his bride that are here visiting us for a couple months. I'm going to ask now that Dan and Nomi will come up. And hey, they made it through their first year of marriage. Let's give it up for them. Amen, amen. (laughs) Glory. That's glorious. Amen. (laughs) First year is always the toughest. Well, we're grateful that you've come and... Nomi, how was it feel to be married with Dan for a whole year? It's great. I love him. All right. Amen, amen. That's the right response. I paid her to say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a counseling session tomorrow. So, no, But we're so glad that you've come, and we're glad that you're going to share with us this evening. Nomi is from Finland. Tell us about Finland a little bit, Nomi. Well, Finland is a very cold country, so I've already had my fair share of the sex and sun. I feel a bit red, but I love it. <laughs> You're loving the sun, huh? All right. Amen, amen. How cold did it get in Finland this winter? Well, I think in Celsius, so minus 30 Celsius. I don't know what that seems. That's close to Fahrenheit when you get down that low. it's Okay. It's cold. Colder than an ice cream cone. Okay. Well, we're glad that you're here in the warm and that you get a nice tan. They'll be staying at Surrey Park across the way, and they'll be here for a couple months, and they're going to be raising support. Uh, they are supported through our church, but also other people. So they'll be, you'll get to see their face for a while, but let's give them a warm welcome. Amen? Amen, amen. Thank you, Nomi. And Brother Dan is from our church a long time ago. I remember picking him up for youth group. What year was that, Dan? I don't know. 2003. I remember taking him home every night after youth group and talking to him about the Lord and just loving life. And we did life together. And that was a long time ago. And through that time, um, Dan has really committed his life to the Lord and to service and in the Middle East. And um, it's a real pleasure to have one our own back home. Amen? Amen. It's great. So uh, let me just pray for you, Dan, tonight. Lord, use my brother. Thank you, Lord, that you grew him up, Holy Spirit, and that he's here to give you glory. And we pray, Lord, that him and Nomi would just get a good rest while they're here, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for their marriage. Thank you, Lord, for their love for one another. And thank you for Nomi's love for the Son. And we do know, Lord, that while they're here, it'll be challenging. And just in terms of raising support and all throughout the U.S., Lord, we pray that you would give them favor and that people would be generous as much work is needed in the Middle East, but the laborers are few. Thank you that Dan has gone to language school and learned the language, and so has Nomi, Lord, and um, they're your ambassadors on the ground in a difficult part of the world. So thank you, Lord, for bringing them tonight to us and to share with us, Lord, and to encourage us through your word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hi, thanks for welcoming me. It's really nice to be back, sorry Dan, back in my hometown and back in the home church where it all started for me. 
And I was in... Oh, thanks. Proper. And yeah, I was. It was 2003 when I started here. I was one of my friends, I was at Coronado High School, and I was evangelizing to one of my friends, and he told me, he's like, hey, man, I know Jesus. I go to youth group. And I'm like, hey, what's youth group? And he tells me, and he invites me, so I come, and I meet Dan Dodge for the first time. And you all know Dan. He's intense. And so I was like, all right, we'll see you next week. And I come back next week, and he says, hey, buddy, I got someone you're going to meet with. And immediately, from week two of being at Coronado Baptist, I am indoctrinated into our vision statement, loving, telling, and developing and all of a sudden, I'm meeting with Scott Sally, one of our deacons here, and I started meeting with him every single week. So from the very beginning, Coronado has poured into me and said, the Great Commission is one that makes disciples. We don't want converts. We don't want believers. We want knowledgeable people who can reproduce. And it was immediately, and I got it. And then under Dan's leadership, we went on many, many missions trips. And also, being a native Spanish speaker... I was also asked to join in all the other mission trips that headed to the south because I spoke Spanish. So it was really good to me because I got a really good taste of mission life. But this is the first time that I have served the Lord in a capacity that is long-term and undetermined. I moved to Turkey six years ago and didn't know when I'd be coming back. And now I still don't know when I'm coming back because little did I know that I'd meet my wife over there. I did not know that, but the Lord knew that, and I'm thankful that he did. My wife grew up there as a child between the ages of 4 and 14. Her parents were also missionaries, and her entire family were missionaries in Turkey. And so she was coming back to see what she remembered of the language and the culture and see if Turkey was a place for her, and the good Lord knew it was. So we met, and I was quick about it. Two years later, we married, and then now we're here. So we spent one year together in Turkey serving the Lord, and it's been wonderful. Well, Mike asked me to preach and not tell you about me, so I'll save that for later. Sorry. But Mike asked me to preach, and as I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what would you like to tell the church at Coronado? What message do you have for them? I feel that the Lord was leading me uh, to the calming of the storm found in Matthew 8, 23 through 27. So if you join me. That's Matthew 8, 23, 27. And it reads, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered by the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Yeah, truly, what kind of man gets obeyed by the wind and the waves? It was actually quite wonderful. I didn't, I didn't talk to Drew before today, and I don't think he knew what I was going to preach, but I feel that the Holy Spirit guided us both to the right passages and the right songs. And it was truly encouraging to sing that. And it was also really encouraging to me because Mike was always told me that the person who preaches probably gets the most out of the preaching. And I think it's true. But one of the things that I loved was this was my first experience back in the States worshiping with a congregation. 
And as Dan said, there are many countries that don't get to do that, and it truly was special. I think both, both my wife and I were really moved by the worship, and I'm still moved now because it is overwhelming. I just praise the Lord that we get to worship in that manner. And we're going to see that today God is calling us into relationship with him, but that relationship with him does not guarantee us that there will be absence of storms. But it does guarantee us that he is on and in our boat. And it also teaches us that the proper response to seeing God at work is worship. And that's what we do, not just in song, but in our lives. So let's take a look at this passage. In 2008, I had the privilege of spending Easter week in Israel. And as I was there, I had a a teacher, and I was traveling with three other students. And we went to go visit our teacher, and we stayed in Tiberias, a city on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is not a very big sea. It's a small, probably 13 miles north to south and 8 miles east to west. But it also sits over 600 feet below sea level, which makes the climate very warm. That's okay, not warm, it's hot. But this heat to the west of the, uh, uh, to the, west of the sea are mountains. And these mountains have these gullies and these valleys that essentially funnel the air over the Sea of Galilee. And as it would, it would compress the air and push it very violently across these waters. So mix this cold wind with the hot temperature of the low altitude, and you got yourselves a great recipe for a great storm. And I do remember sitting there in my naiveness, and I, I don't know if that's the word, but I'm going to use it, but I sat there thinking, wow, look at that sea. And all of a sudden, in the t- as we had dinner, by the end of the dinner, it was storming over the Sea of Galilee. And we're right on the coast, and I can see it. And it's dark and beautiful. And I like storms. I like watching them. So I thought it was like, wow, that's really cool. But now I look at it, and I think, oh, my gosh, that must have been frightening because these men were out there. And I thought it was nice in the comfort of, you know, a nice apartment. But what we see is that the conditions were perfect for the storm. When we follow Christ, we are not guaranteed the absence of storms in our lives. As a matter of fact, it's actually quite the opposite. The scripture tells us that anyone who desires to live a godly life will face persecution. The Bible also tells us that, hey, do not be surprised when trials of various kinds come your way. The Bible is very clear for us as believers that we will be tried. The difficult times will come, and there's a reason for those. Jesus asked his disciples, follow me, get on the boat. Even when we are following and being faithful to the Lord, the storms will come. In the middle, and while you stand in the center of God's will, the storms will come. These disciples were obedient. They weren't disobedient. The storm didn't come because of sin in their life. The storm didn't come for some other reason other than the Lord was using it to test them. The passage goes, they set out on this journey. All of a sudden, the great storm hits, and the disciples decide to awake Jesus and say, Lord, we are perishing. Save us. There are many things that we're going to focus on this passage, but I'm going to focus on those three. And examine this. In the middle of the storm, let's examine who is on the boat 
We notice that they're the disciples. Jesus has been walking with them. They have been walking with him. They have observed Jesus. They were obedient. They were faithful. And they set out to sail when Jesus said so. And we see that Jesus himself is also on the boat. He was also being obedient to the Father. He was doing the will of the Father as he set out. We know that, again, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> so, yes, thank you. Second Timothy 3, Paul writes, verse 1, But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. It's not a matter of if they will come. It's a matter of when they will come. We can trust that. But the Lord also gives us hope. He says in John 16:33, These things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's both a sobering and very encouraging statement at the same time. I don't think any of us like to go through the storms of life because they are very real. Sometimes they happen in our jobs. Sometimes they happen within our family. It could be in our own health or the health of a loved one. Perhaps it's your relationship or your marriage. Those trials that we face are very, very real to us. And they're not fun to go through. But it is encouraging that the Savior himself tells us, take courage, take heart, because I have overcome the world. There are different types of storms that we can face, and I want to walk you through some of them. The first one that we see is a natural storm. It's the natural disasters, it's the tornadoes, it's the tsunamis, it's the big earthquakes. I'm reminded, I read of Jefferson City, Missouri, who faced 160 mile per hour winds in a tornado. It was classified as an EF3 tornado, which only less than 5% of all tornadoes are classified that strength. I read an article and one of the persons that they interviewed said, it felt like an earthquake. That's not a mistake, and she's not the first person to describe a storm as an earthquake. But we also see that there are man-made storms, storms engineered by our own foolishness and our disobedience to God. I'm immediately reminded of the story of Jonah, and I think you all know the story. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel, and Jonah does not want to go, so he flees to Tarshish. I think Tarsus, I can't pronounce How is it? Tarsus, yeah. So he goes there, but as he's going, he's hit by a storm on the boat for his disobedience. And not only that, he tries to sleep underground, and they start casting lots to find out whose fault this was, and it falls on Jonah. And Jonah says, man, you're going to have to pick me up and throw me overboard, because that's the only way to make this stop. That's a pretty bold statement, knowing that you're at fault. And that the only way is, I'm not going to jump over, but you might have to pick me up and throw me over. His disobedience led to that. Not only that, not only were they about to be shipwrecked, but once he was thrown overboard, he was also eaten by a large fish. What a mess you get into. It's not fun. There are also storms that we are dragged into by other people. Thanks, others. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. 
and thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife decided to lie about him. And all these things happen to Joseph, not by anything he did. He actually tried to live a very righteous life, other than bragging to his brothers. So if you're a younger sibling, don't brag on to your siblings. They'll sell you. Caution. I know, I'm the youngest of three. I've heard the talking behind my back of selling me. But I don't believe it. But anyway, in, in Genesis 50, we find that the brothers are now back in Egypt because Israel's in a famine. And they realize they need help and they recognize this is our brother whom we've sold and they're begging for forgiveness. And he says, oh, I forgive you. But this is what he says. This is the storm he was thrown into. You meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good so that this present moment might happen. Sometimes the storms of life are not by our own design, but we find ourselves stuck in them. Then there's the storms that we find that God brings to us for the testing of our faith. And it's the same storm we find now. In chapter 8, we see that there was a great storm like an earthquake. In Greek, the word that was used is seismos. It's the, it's the same Greek root that we get our word seismology or the study of earthquakes. The writer felt that the storm felt like an earthquake. I mentioned earlier that the person in, in, in Jefferson City also felt the ground shake as a great earthquake. It's by no mistake. These are great storms. It wasn't a light it wasn't a light storm. These waves were blanketing the ship. Actually Nomi and I we got we got the privilege to go on a little tour in Turkey and we saw one of these boats that they think was very similar to the ones that Jesus used and the ones that Jesus um, commandeered for a better term and said push off and let's sail and we got to see these boats and they didn't look like much and last week we got to be on a really nice boat that was very powerful and strong and we would fly through and we would barely feel the waves what a comparison this boat was and yet here they find themselves and it was sudden and unexpected because remember some of these disciples were trained fishermen they were boatmen This is what they spent their life doing. They knew the waters. They could read the skies. They would know and be able to anticipate, hey, Jesus, maybe now is not the time to sail. I see the storm coming. But there was no warning for this. There was absolutely no warning. In Romans 5, 3 through 4, it says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These these storms build our character and help us become more like Christ. The growth in our Christian life does not happen in times of calmness. Everything we see, we know that iron sharpens iron. There is great friction that happens in the growth of our lives. We also see that our faith is tested through immense fire, like gold and silver. All these illustrations that the Bible tells us are of intense pressure, of intense heat, of intense energy transfers for a reason. Because it is only in those times that we will learn to grow. 
I was visiting my brother in Boston a few years ago, and he lives on a boat. And we went out sailing, and it was my first time sailing ever. I'm a desert rat. I belong on ground in the dry heat of Texas. My wife was born in Helsinki, which is a port city, so she loves the water. She's really cool with it. I am not. So we were out there sailing, and there was enough bad weather that I started to panic. And I don't think I'm one to panic. I I think I'm reserved and calm, but this time I was very out of my element, and I'm in a boat that's rocking. And I look at my brother, and I was like, man, are you not scared? And he says, no, man, I've been through worse. And I think, okay. And he just tells me this, this proverb, and he says, you know, rough seas make good sailors. It's when we've gone through difficult times that the next time we come through another difficult time, we say, hey, we've been here. I know how to act. I know how to maneuver my boat. I know what to do to make it through. And I think it's the same way for us as Christians. Have you ever wondered how Paul was such a mighty man and did the things that he did? I have. I've walked in many of the ancient places that he visited. I've walked on his journeys from Ephesus to Laodicea to Lystria, to Iconia. I've walked these places and wondered, how did this man get to where he was? But he was a tested man. This man endured a lot. And I realized that it was this testing of his faith that prepared him for the works ahead. So I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. And we're going to see this together because... I always thought, well, Paul's pretty amazing. Starting with verse uh, 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. There was a proving of his faith that happened. But we also must recognize that this testing of our faith is not just for our own sake. It doesn't end with us. Jesus never intended for our faith to be just for us. He has a greater plan. And this is what he tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. But it reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God and all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The testing of our faith is way beyond us. And we need to recognize that. 
that God does not end with us, but what we have, He desires for us to share. He tests and equips us so that we can pass that on. Now that we know that the storms of life will continue coming, and they will not stop, the question I have is, where is the Lord in the midst of this storm? As I said earlier, one thing we know for sure is when we follow Christ, we are guaranteed that He is in our boat. The Bibles are clear. It says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can trust that. We can cling to that promise and know that He is there. However, sometimes it does feel like though He's not with us or though He is sleeping because we do. Not only do we face the storms, but we face the consequences of the storms. We are tossed from side to side. We are covered by the waves. It doesn't guarantee us out of that. So we must recognize that Christ is sovereign. He was sovereign over the storm, and that's why he was in great peace. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us that all authority is given to him in heaven and in earth. Jesus was at peace because he knew that that storm fell under his authority. And he was at rest because he also knew that no matter what the circumstances around him would happen, God had a will for him. And God was going to protect that. So there's a sense of confidence of knowing that you are in the center of God's will and that the circumstances around you do not matter as much as you fixing your gaze upon Jesus. We also see that Christ is faithful to his word. At the beginning, Christ says, let's sail to the other side. He did not say, let's sail and sink in the middle of the Galilee. No, we got to take him at his word. And he said, we will make it, so we will make it, because he said so, and he's God. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken and will he not do it? Will he not do it and will it not be good? He is faithful and we can trust his word. Christ is also our Savior. And he is and in Christ is the only place that we find salvation. No skill, no goodness in life, no good deeds can ever save you. Salvation belongs to the Lord and only to the Lord. As we read in Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam through the mountains quake and its swelling pride. The Lord is present now. He is a God who is active today. He's not waiting till you die so that he can take you to heaven. He wants you to experience his grace, his love, his peace here on earth now. You can experience part of the kingdom of God, a glimpse of the kingdom of God here on earth. He's not just a savior that will take us away, but he's a savior that wants to touch our lives now. In Isaiah 59, the Bible tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short, and his ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. His hand will reach down. The Lord is able to hear our prayers and reach down into our very own situations. We can trust that the Lord is able to do far 
beyond anything we can think or imagine. But at the same time, I'm reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their unwillingness to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they bring him in front of him and he says, I won't do it. And he says, we believe that our Lord will be able to get us out. And then I love this next statement because it's ever true. And he says, even if he doesn't, I will worship no other God. There was a conviction in them to know that God is God and he will do what God will do. He does not need our permission. Remember that we are the clay and he is the potter. He's not subject to us, but we are subject to him. And even if he doesn't, we will worship him. It's important to remember because I do not want to preach gospel that enables you to think that everything will work out the way you want it. I was thinking of my grandfather who passed away right before I got to go on the mission field. And I was quite thankful that the Lord allowed me to be there for that time. It was a very sweet time for me. And when I asked the Lord, why would he have to die? The Lord spoke something that was very comforting to me. The Lord spoke and said, Daniel, it is part of my healing. Because to be absent in the body means to be present with the Lord. And in the Lord there is no suffering, there is no crime, there is no pain. And my grandfather was healed. And I, can't, I had to accept that. And I want to preach the fullness of the gospel to you. And the gospel where God is God and we are man. And he rules and he is sovereign and he is holy and we are not. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. But we can trust in this. We can trust that God is a good God. He is good. this moment Jesus is on the boat but before Jesus calms the waves and and the wind he rebukes the disciples he says why are you fearful you men of little faith the word fearful here is not the word which we get our English word phobia from phobia just means to be scared of to be terrified of The word that's used here in Greek is better used to describe timidness or cowardness. It suggests a kind of fearful and unbecoming, a very inappropriate, even sinful behavior. The only other occasion that this word is used in the New Testament, apart from this story, is found in Revelations 21, verses 8, where we're told that the cowardly, and then it goes on to list a variety of evildoers, unbelievers and others shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Jesus did not say, what are you scared of? He said, why are you being a coward to these men? In times of crisis, they failed to recognize who was in the boat. Here there are a few things that Jesus had done before he got into the boat. We know that He had been teaching at synagogues. And when people heard Jesus teach, they were moved. The scripture says, were not our hearts burning when we heard him speak? 
he spoke with such authority, even at a young age, he was marveling the teachers. The scriptures also tell us that he was healing all kinds of diseases and illnesses of every kind with a touch. We also know that he was healing a leper. Before Jesus healed the leper, there was only two other accounts of lepers being healed. And there is a prophecy for the Jews that when the Messiah came, there would be healing of leprosy. And this is why Jesus told that leper, go and make sure that the priest knows and that you are cleansed according to the ritual law. Because Jesus was making a testimony that he is the Messiah. He healed the centurion's servant with just a word. And he healed Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. And he was casting out demons. The problem here was not the storm. They had known who Jesus was. These people, these disciples, believed that he was the Messiah, believed that he was God. But in the midst of it, we saw that something was falling short. The problem was not the storm. The problem was that they did not trust him. All that they had seen had failed to transfer from their heart to their heart, from their head to their heart. There was a misconnect there. But we have to credit them because they weren't faithless. They were just men of little faith. As experienced fishermen, I'm sure they did everything they could in their own strength to save themselves. I'm not a boatman, so I can't tell you exactly what you should have done. But I'm sure if I was in the situation, I would have tried to row my way back to the shore. I would have definitely brought the sail down so I wouldn't be pushed so hard. And I would definitely be throwing anything out that I can that weighs anything to save my life. But in, at the end, they failed to turn to Jesus. Until the very end, when they've tried everything they can, then they finally acknowledge Christ. It's funny that it was not the roar of the air, nor the tossing of the boat, or the crashing of the waves. It was the cry of the disciples, Lord, save us, we are perishing. It was the cry of these men that woke Jesus up. When he said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. In Greek, it's actually just three words. It reads, Lord, save, we perish, and we perish is one word. This prayer is important when we break it down, because when they say, Lord, they are acknowledging who to go to. They are recognizing and admitting Christ's authority and power. It also confesses to Christ's deity when they cry out, save us, it's an acclamation that they knew what they needed. They needed rescue. When they say, we perish, they rightly stated their situation. They understood that they were helpless without Christ. They understood that they would die if Christ did not do something about it. This is a good prayer for us to remember and to pray in times of crisis in our own lives. Christ is not interested in eloquency or fancy prayers. What he's interested in is getting to our hearts. When our hearts cry out to him, Lord, save us. We're perishing. I'm perishing. He will hear us because it's coming from the heart. Turn your Bibles with me one final time to Psalms 50. Verse 15.
Psalm 50:15 reads, Call upon me in the days of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. The proper response to Christ stilling the storm is to worship. I remind you that the storm became perfectly still. There was no more rocking. I mean, if you take a glass of water and swirl it, if you stop swirling, the water keeps moving. But in this instance, God calmed the waters. They were still like glass. And I I, I think it must have been incredible for these fishermen who have fished here their entire lives to see this lake perfectly still, with no wind, like glass. Matthew tells us that their response was they marveled. In the parallel Gospels, Mark 4 tells us they feared exceedingly. And in Luke, we find that they were afraid. And it's interesting here that this time, when they used the word afraid, the word phobia was used. It was a fear. There was a deep fear, but it's also a heartfelt reverence to God. We've known that the fear of the Lord. There is part partial trembling to that, but there's something about feeling it from the heart that brings us to a place of reverence towards God. Outside the boat, there was a great storm. They got turned into a great calm. And inside the boat, there was hearts of cowardice. They got turned into hearts of reverence because of what the Lord had done. Worship occurs when we see our great God for who he really is. Not with our mind, not with our eyes, but with our hearts. When we see him with our hearts, we will worship him how he truly deserves to be worshipped. Are you going through a storm of life right now? Are you in a moment of crisis in your life? You might say no, and I encourage you to ask the Lord to reveal something to you. Not that I want you to be. I pray that that you're not. But I think sometimes the enemy tries to deceive us and allows us to think, I have this under control. And I think in America, this is the greatest trick the enemy plays on us. He allows us to think that we have it under control. That we can handle this. I have enough finances. I have enough skill. I have enough ability within myself to take care of the problem. And the truth is, I bet these fishermen thought that too. It wasn't the first storm they had ever faced. But all of a sudden, they find themselves that they can no longer carry on. I want to remind you of what the Lord says to you. That this is a normal occurrence in the life of a Christian. We can expect trials and difficult times. I also believe that the Lord wants to encourage you by reminding you that He is in your boat. No matter what storm you face, He is there with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He says, take heart, do not be fearful, for I have overcome the world. I give you peace, not like the world gives peace. There is something unique about what the Lord can do for for us in any situation. And finally, I believe that the Lord wants to remind you that you can call upon Him in times of trouble. And not just that, but I believe that he will rescue you. As Drew comes out or from somewhere to lead us in... Drew! I don't know where he is. He's coming. Perfect. 
Well, as Drew comes up, I want you to spend some time in reflection. And before we respond in song, I want us to respond with our hearts to what the Lord has spoken. So let us pray. Lord, help us when we face trials in this life. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in our inner man by your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to stand firm in your word. Father, I pray that you would encourage us and build us up, that our faith would be able to be strong enough to see you in the midst of crisis. Father, fix our eyes on you and teach us to be faithful to you. Teach us to see you in all circumstances. Teach us to be strong and grounded in truth. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us comfort. Thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit. Father, we want more of you and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Top us off and overflow us. Father, we thank you for your great love towards us. We thank you for your kindness, your graciousness that brings us peace. So we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Understand this verse with each other. There's a grace when the heart is undefined. Another way when the walls are closing in. I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning. I know I will never be. Was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. Should I ever find it? How I've been set free. There is a cross that bears the burden when another died for me. Let's sing that again. Should I ever need reminding? The power sets me free. There is a cross that bears the burden. When another died for me, there is another in the fire. And Lord, we do acknowledge that though the storms of this world um, bog us down, though the things of this world distract us from you. Our hope is secure in nothing less than Jesus Christ. And so we set our feet in you, God. You are our mighty fortress, and we trust in you and rely on you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Mission offering tonight. So lock the doors, put the gates down. Okay. <laughs> So, thank you for giving. All the money goes to help the poor and the people that are hurting that come to our church each Friday for food and for clothing. So, give to them. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Dan and Nomi. And all my dead left for dead beneath the waters. 
I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore. Oh Lord, should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? Either way, I will bow to the things of this world. I know and I know. Will power set me free? There is a grave that holds nobody. And now the power lives in me. I can see, and I can see the light in the darkness. As the darkness bows to him, I can hear the roar in the heavens. As the space between wasted, I can There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. I believe it right now. And we'll be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. Be another in the fire. Standing next to me, there'll be another in the waters, holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding, how could you bend to me? I'll count the joy come every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. I'll count the joy come every battle, cause Count the joy in every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. I count the joy in every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be.